Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Cosmos, Cosmos Space-Time Odyssey, and Cosmos Possible Worlds. Cosmos Possible Worlds Episode 3, titled Lost City of Life. Uh, Yet another very, very good episode, all about uh, life, uh, the building blocks of life, how we figured out what they are, mostly, and uh, (laughs) probably, who knows, uh, and where life could be on other worlds. Alright, so... We start this episode fairly early on in the in the universe's whole deal, uh, creation of the Milky Way galaxy in a fairly chaotic age in the universe's uh, formation. We see those early days of the Milky Way, and then we immediately fast forward to early Earth, and how we believe the most plausible explanation for how life was created. On the early Earth. Now, the early Earth was way, way different from how the Earth is now. Uh, there were no oxygen. Uh, there was no oxygen in the skies. Uh, methane was the greenhouse gas of the day. Yada yada yada. Bunch of stuff happened in between uh, then and now. But we talk about sort of how we think life first started. Uh, so we dive down into the oceans of that far distant past Earth. And we see this, like, big city of spires made from calcium carbonate, I believe. I could be wrong about that. Uh, and we see how, at a certain point, the Earth sort of burst open at a point, And we had the, like cool waters mixing with the hot mantle, creating this, uh, reaction that created a bunch of these, uh, uh, that sort of spawned these new minerals, created this mixture that just shot out, uh, and basically these molecules that would eventually create life sort of made their way into the pores 
of the rock, uh, where things were sort of safe. And there they flourished and sort of uh, joined in, like, more and more complex patterns until the first single-cell organisms created and then beyond. And eventually they were able to wriggle their way out of that rocky prison and spread outward. And a lot of that has to do, we believe, with ovaline. That was one of the biggest uh, minerals that sort of shot out from those vents. Uh, And that was sort of in the rocks, and that was sort of helping things out. Uh, So that, like, green jewel, as Neil deGrasse Tyson calls it, might have been the secret sauce to life on this planet, to starting up life. And then we get into an age on Earth where almost all life on Earth got destroyed uh, by these organisms called cyanobacteria. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Which were very resilient creatures that could live almost anywhere uh, in almost any type of water. And they were oxygen-generating machines. They were pumping out oxygen like nobody's business. They just kept making oxygen at this constant, uh, massive rate. Uh, Pumping oxygen into the atmosphere. Pumping oxygen into the atmosphere. Pumping oxygen into the atmosphere. uh, Turning the sky blue. Giving us the atmosphere we now know and love today. And (sighs) breathe uh, very easily. Uh, Created the ozone. Uh... They would gobble up methane, which was the greenhouse gas of the day, and replace it with CO2, which was a less effective greenhouse gas, uh, causing a bit of an ice age to occur. And oxygen, to a large number of the creatures on Earth at that time, was straight up poison. And so it killed a crap ton of life. It killed a crap ton of species until it eventually became dominant and that ice age happened and was able to break free and uh, the dead bodies of uh, certain cyanobacteria, certain organisms would give off carbon dioxide, which would then go into volcanoes that would then spew it out uh, at a big rate, causing these like shifts from freezing, thawing, freezing, thawing, freezing, thawing, freezing, thawing, and then eventually we know the rest. Uh, We're in a nice little period break in that cycle, and that's where uh, we as humans were able to sort of uh, be great, when we as humans were able to be freaking awesome. And then life goes on, as uh, we already know as it goes on. Uh, Evolution, evolution, evolution... Uh, Cambrian Explosion, I believe, is what it was called when life just started evolving at an insane rate uh, into all this diversity. We know how the rest of the story of evolution goes. We then talk about how these discoveries were able to be made. The story of the creation of geochemistry. How it was founded, and specifically the story of Goldschmidt a Swiss-German scientist uh, who was working at the time of the Nazis. Uh, Yeah, he 
was brought up in Germany as a Jewish man. He was working uh, all well and good. He made a ton of accomplishments. Uh, like, created this new periodic table that we still use today. Did all of these insane, 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 insane things. And then, Nazis happened. Jews were very much persecuted. Goldschmidt very bravely just said, Yeah, I'm Jewish. All my family members are Jewish. I got nothing to hide. I am a proud Jew. Like, just flying into the face of Hitler's uh, fear, fear empire. And he fled to Norway. Uh, he literally kept a cyanide pill in his pocket just in case they came for him, which they eventually did. Uh, he got captured and was told, hey, we'll let you live if you use your scientific mind for the Reich. And so he sent the Nazis on these wild goose chases for minerals that didn't exist. Uh, <laughs> saying they'd be crucial to the war effort just made them waste their resources on nothing. Man, Nazis are stupid. Nazis are dumb. <laughs> Nazis are real, real dumbasses. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> did he make them search for unobtainium? I bet he made them search for unobtainium. <laughs> yeah, so that happens. And then eventually, uh, the Resistance was able to free him and able to get him out of there. Uh, he spent the rest of his, the rest of the war in Sweden and, uh, or was it Switzerland? I can't remember. Uh, one of the S nations and also England uh, helping the Allies, and unfortunately, he never recovered from the war and died a year and a half after. Uh, but he did all this insane stuff during the war, like sort of fighting against the Nazis both from within and without, using science. It was really, really spectacular. And by the way, of course, it's told in a very compelling way. Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, and Cosmos in general. Very, very good at finding the compelling human elements in these scientific minds and bringing those to the forefront. Uh, but he established the field of geochemistry. There was also another guy before him who they do spend some time on in this episode. I cannot remember his name for the life of me. Uh, but they basically said this is the first guy to suggest it. And then 50 years after this guy... Uh, Goldschmidt came along, and he was the driving force in its creation. Uh, but they do mention that other dude, who is also Swiss German, interestingly enough. Uh, I cannot remember his name. I didn't put it in my notes. I'm an idiot. Uh, but they tell that story of geochemistry's creation in a very compelling, very human way. Uh, and I love the little bit they put in of just like, yeah, when he died, he asked, uh, his last request was to be cremated and put in an urn of Ovaline because he believed that Ovaline was a big component in the building blocks of life. And he eventually was proven right, or at the very least, plausibly accurate. <laughs> at the very least, we believe him 
to be correct. Uh, at the very least, that is a prevailing theory. So having established this is the discovery, this is what we know of the building blocks of life, and how the field that was able to figure that out came about, we then go out into the cosmos and start talking about categories of worlds. Uh, NASA apparently has five categories of worlds that we have to be very careful about, uh, varying degrees of carefulness about, uh, because they may or may not contain life that may or may not be easily disturbed. Uh, For example, the moon. Category one. No threat. There is no way any form of life could possibly be there. Uh, even And we can't tamper with anything. Uh, stuff like Saturn and Titan, I believe, is another one. Uh, are Category 2, where there might be life. But if there is, there's no chance of us, like, destroying it. There's no chance of us uh, ever having any negative effect on it. Because it's so different from us. Our presence wouldn't really destroy them in any way. All the way up to Category 5. Uh, Mars, Europa, and Enceladus, which we get into in a minute. Uh, that's just like, it is very, very within the realm of possibility that there could be life on these worlds hidden somewhere. And it is very, very important that we take every precaution so as to not disturb it too much. Either A, we could end up destroying them, or B, we could accidentally have them destroy us as a species if we're not careful in how we obtain samples and all that. Uh, And so for Category 5 worlds, they are very, very, very cautious with how they handle them. Uh, In fact, when they send probes to Jupiter... Once they're done, they don't come back to Earth. They send them flying into the sun. Not because Jupiter's a Cat 5, I believe Jupiter's a Cat 2, but because Europa, one of its moons, is a Cat 5, and they can't risk a collision. So they just send it to its death after it's done, which is fascinating, which is utterly fascinating. That's a real process. That's a real thing that gets considered of just like, hey, let's be extra super duper careful just in case, just in case there's life on these specific worlds where it's very, very possible that life is. And then we get into Encladus, a moon of Saturn. Which is a particularly fascinating case. And we spend a particularly large amount of time on it. It is utterly fascinating. This is a world that is on the top frozen. But it's constantly shooting up geysers of ice and water vapors. Just into space. And it contributes to Saturn's E-ring. And we kind of go through, here's everything we know about this world. Here's everything we know about this world. Here's everything we know about this world. And then, once Neil deGrasse Tyson establishes all that, then we get to the point of, all right, speculate wildly. 
And this is the part I love about Possible Worlds. Using the stuff we already know, using the stuff we've learned to do informed speculation on what could be. Like, Cosmos Possible Worlds is first and foremost a show, at least in its first three episodes, about what could be. And here is the moment. It was a long time to get to it in this particular episode. But here we get into what could be. And Neil deGrasse Tyson, like, plows through the southern hemisphere ice, and we see this ocean ten times deeper than anything on Earth. And we examine it, and we see all these molecules, all these minerals, and we go far enough down, and we see... This is the speculation talking. These towers very similar to early Earth. Excuse me, I got a cough. (coughs) (coughs) I swear it's not COVID. I swear it's not COVID. (laughs) I'm getting vaccinated tomorrow. That's going to be fun. Uh, Getting the first of two shots. That's going to be real, real wonderful. Uh, But anyway, we see these towers of calcium, calcium carbonate. Similar to what we had on early Earth. And they're in the same way. They're in the same porous... uh, What's the word? Uh, The same porous... Okay, this isn't the right word, but I'm just going to say it for simplicity's sake. Architecture. They're in the same porous architecture. There is Ovaline. So... Maybe life is there or could spring up in those pores. So there is quite possibly another world in the solar system that's in those early stages that Earth once was at. On Enceladus. 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 That's what it is. You remember it because it sounds like incels. Uh, <laughs> it's the land of incels. There's incels growing in those rocks because of Ovaline. That green jewel spawned incels. <laughs> also worth noting, this was not a thing that was a thing before, but Neil deGrasse Tyson detaches that like little bubble cockpit thing from the Ship of Imagination. To explore Enceladus. And like. Man did it remind me of. Star Trek TNG. uh, Detaching the saucer section. uh, From the Enterprise. That reminded me a hell of a lot of that. And I love it. And I love it. Uh, Anyway. And uh, that's where the episode ends. On a note of like. Maybe life is just a universal thing. A product of. Universal processes. Uh, the que- the very philosophical question of does that make life less wonderli- wondrous or more? And there we end things. There we close it out. Uh, but yeah, another another real, real good episode. If you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as we go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in. As well, it's simple as just push a button on the Anchor app. I'll be on the show from time to time. It feels so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, TomTom4468, and support the show 
Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark pledges a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I'll be putting up there once every month. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, tomorrow we will be discussing Cosmos Possible Worlds Episode 4. Talk to you then.